This episode of No Wrong Answers is brought to you by the Kauffman Foundation, investing in educators and lifting up the Kansas City region, which is dedicated to learning together to improve educational and economic success. Learn more at Kauffman.org. A Kansas teenager is set to graduate from his high school and from Harvard University this spring. Our teachers have a whole lot of questions, and he and his mom join us to give some answers. Plus, is your school a happy place? Does it need to be in order to be successful? Our teachers say not necessarily. And New Year's resolutions? Yep, our teachers are making them, just don't call them resolutions. All that and kids these days on this episode of the No Wrong Answers podcast. Welcome to No Wrong Answers, the weekly podcast that gives you a teacherly take on the world. I'm your host, Kyle Palmer. I used to be in the classroom as an English teacher. Now I'm behind the mic as a radio journalist, and I'm joined, as always, by a group of hardworking teachers who have a lot on their minds because they're about ready to come back from a two-week holiday break. This is our first episode of 2019, so let's introduce the teachers who are here for this episode. Luann Fox, what do you teach? Hi, I teach high school English. Paul Donovan, right next to her in the studio. What do you teach? I teach uh, mathematics. And David Muhammad, back for the first of this year. What do you teach? I teach high school social studies, international relations, and economics. Luann, David, and Paul, all teachers here in the Kansas City area. Before we get started, just a reminder, you can sign up for our weekly newsletter, the Friday Cheat Sheet at NoWrongAnswersPodcast.com. We've taken a couple of weeks off from the cheat sheet because our teachers have been on break, but the cheat sheet gives you a preview of some things we'll be talking about on the next episode and also gives you a chance to weigh in. It's also a review of some of the interesting education stories that catch our eye during the week. It's your teacherly take on the world in your inbox. Sign up for the Friday cheat sheet at nowronganswerspodcast.com. Well, here we go. As 2018 was turning into 2019, a story about a 16-year-old high school student in Kansas went Viral. Just before the new year, the Hutchinson News did a profile of Braxton Morale, a senior at Ulysses High School in Ulysses, Kansas. That's a town of about 6,000 in the southwest corner of the state. In May, Braxton is set to graduate from high school. And about two weeks after that, he's set to graduate from college, too. And not just any old college. He's set to get a liberal arts degree from Harvard University. For several years now, Braxton has been taking courses online through Harvard's Extension School. And he's also taken some classes at the actual Cambridge, Massachusetts campus during the summers. All while also working towards his high school diploma and also doing typical teenage things like attending prom and participating in Boy Scouts. So along with our teachers for this segment, we're also joined by Braxton Morale and his mother, Julie Morale. Braxton and Julie, thanks for taking the time and speaking with us. Thank you. Well, I, I gather, Braxton, that you've been that you began taking online classes from Harvard when you were 11, at least that's what I've seen reported. So just go back to that time. Why did you start doing that? Well, I was really bored in the classroom at that point. My parents were looking for something, you know, stimulate me educationally and keep me involved. When did you start to feel like you could actually take enough classes and earn enough credits to actually earn a degree from Harvard? Uh, When I was starting to go to high school, it became apparent that if we wanted to, we could kind of allocate our time wisely and get that done. Julie Morale, you're, you're his mother as a parent. I mean, this has, I imagine, been kind of like a whirlwind. Um, your 16-year-old son basically attending college while he's also attending high school. I mean, Jack, uh, Braxton mentioned right off the top that 
uh, back when he was 11 or 12 years old when this started, he felt bored in class. Can you take yourself back to that time? What were you seeing as a parent that made you think maybe he needed something more? Well, part of it was because when he was in kindergarten, they would move him up in math and English to first or second grade. And then in he skipped fourth grade completely. They would take him from one school to another so he could be with older kids. So like fifth grade, he didn't get math at all because there was no math left for him to take. So we knew we had to come up with something else. So in junior high, that's when we started looking into other options. And, and then I imagine there had to be some sort of testing involved. There had to be some sort of like application. Like explain that process. What, how did you get to where you are now where he's actually taking courses that, you know, Harvard students and working adults are taking? He took the WISC four when he was like third grade. It's like an aptitude test, basically. Right. Yeah. The thing he scored really, really high in was learning ability. So we knew we had to use that to his advantage, you know, help him with that. So then he went to Seward County Community College out here and took a test. He would have, like, been past the associate's part already degree. So then we put him in Fort Hayes State University. I'm sure you guys have heard of that out here in Hayes, Kansas. And he took one class there. He got an A in it, but it still wasn't stimulating him enough because it was, he just went on and took tests and that kind of stuff. The thing about Harvard is that um, it's got face-to-face stuff. They all log in. He sees his teacher. It's so much more interactive, which is good for him. He learns better that way. Uh, interesting, yeah. So he's, so, taking, he's taking online courses that you describe as interactive. I think maybe the assumption would be, oh, he's just like sitting in front of a computer, but actually you think the experience has been much different for that. Oh, yes. Some classes, they're actually in with the professor together at the same time, and then some of them they have TAs that they have a separate time they have to meet it. Some of the time challenges is like when he plays tennis or he's doing something like that, he has to take his computer because they're required for him to be on. So he stops what he's doing. We give him an iPad, basically, and he does his class right there. Then he goes back and finishes. Yeah, I remember taking my Harvard classes while I was practicing for tennis, too, in high school. (laughs) Uh, uh, Paul, one of our teachers, you have a question. So Braxton, you got all this done. You're gonna you're gonna graduate this spring, is that right? From high school and Harvard. Yes. So, what's your plan? You've got a high school degree and a degree from Harvard. So, what are you gonna yeah, do next? The go, typical teacher question. Go what are you gonna do P- after? Yeah. <laughs> is it a PhD thing? Yeah, I'd like to go to law school. Hopefully, Harvard Law. I think I can achieve that, and that's the next step. Yeah, Luann. Braxton, congratulations that your accomplishment is wonderful. I'm interested in your interest in law school. And one of my questions would be is, do you have any idea how you think you might fit in with law students? Because law students are going to be, you know, older than you, um, for one, in age, and they're going to have a more traditional background um, with undergraduate and that kind of thing. And I mean, do you anticipate fitting in to be like what the picture of that might be for you? I've been told I'm a pretty aggressive person. I'm, Mom describes me as independent, so I think I'll do fine up there. I think I can hold my own. <laughs> You're very self-confident, wow. Braxton. I like the, uh, the go-get-it the go nature. David. Yeah, but, you know, beyond the academic aspect, I mean, I, I hear your confidence and I respect that, truly. But uh, what kind of preparation have you done to be in that setting? Because, you know, the aggressive aspect may not, you know, uh, be the best for that environment. I mean, on one hand, of course, you, what you've done is amazing. 
and you've been in a community that seems to be very supportive, but you're going to have some students who very well may resent you um, or look down upon you because of your age. And I just wonder what kind of things are you doing to prepare yourself for the reality of that environment um, where not everybody's going to necessarily, I mean, it could be very cutthroat, I can only imagine, um, with 22-year-old, 23-year-old law students. You know, I, I like cutthroat places. I, I enjoy that uh, competition. To be fair, I've gone through the high school experience. The only difference with the law school experience is that instead of going to regular uh, college classes, I'll be going to law school classes. Same new independent college environment, uh, same campus. So I don't think there's a real difference in, you know, outside the classroom interaction. Well, not in to, terms of, yeah. Not Go to ahead. challenge you, but you haven't been at a law school campus environment. You know, I mean, having traditionally went through college and, and high school, it's very different, you know, um, time management. And, I, again, you're very mature. You Obviously, to be able to do what you've done, um, this aspect, you, you're very mature for your age, so I don't doubt that you're capable. I'm just saying that I hope that you're putting things in place um, to prepare yourself for the environment that is going to be very different from high school. Yeah, and to piggyback off of what David was saying, I think one of the questions that, that, <clears throat> that or concerns that I would have would be, it doesn't sound like you've been very challenged, Braxton, because you've been able to be successful at everything that has been thrown at you. In law school, I can imagine that that might present you with challenges. And, I mean, do you have um, ways to deal with challenge? Yeah, so I'll start with the first thing. You're right. I haven't gone through the traditional college experience, but neither have any of the, you know, million or so freshmen who entered regular college this year. Uh, in terms of the campus, Harvard Law School is situated right, you know, near Harvard Yard. It's the same place, same environment, except for the actual classes. Right. Now, in terms of challenge in the classes, I mean, I've been challenged before, but I've learned to do better. I mean, as I've gone through my Harvard Extension School career, my GPA has gone up and up because I've learned how to deal right. with the conflict and the problems that I experienced during the first couple of years. Yeah, yeah, I don't doubt you can do that. I, I, I'm more so hoping that you prepare for the social challenges and the, the environment. You know, like you made, you, the, you made the comparison to college freshmen. You're not dealing with college freshmen. You're dealing with kids who graduated from four years of college or more. Um, and so I just, you know, again, what we're looking at is we just hope that you're putting things in place to be prepared for that because the academic, you've already proven you can handle that. Well, let, yeah. let's ask uh, let's ask mom. Julie, are you excited or nervous for this next step in Braxton's future? I mean, having already advanced so swiftly through his academic career, how are you feeling? Well, I think you just do the best you can as a parent and you, you know, hope he's ready for it. I mean, he's been exposed to a lot of... You know, he's been around older students already um, when he was there both summers. So he has been around the older Harvard students. And, in fact, they said, their teacher said, you know, we have to keep reminding ourselves how young you are because he he just was blending. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because he's his intellect makes him able to, you know, like he's always talked and been friends with the teachers. He is with the kids, too, but he can just blend with just about anybody. I know socially, I, I can't protect him from that as a parent. Mm -hmm. I just got to believe he'll do the right thing and make right choices. and Because yeah. and, uh, he's so determined where he wants to go, 
that I think that will help push them through. And, and, and also, I mean, just having read about your story, both, both in the Hutchinson News and in other places like NPR, I mean, you, Braxton, you are the youngest of, I believe, four children, and you, your older siblings are, in fact, uh, quite a bit older than you are. So you are used to being um, the youngest in a room and, and the youngest um, by a lot, <laughs> aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yes, I am. Yeah, and Paul, one last question. Uh, yeah, one of the um, articles I read, Braxton, mentioned that um, earlier you had a bout of depression. Now, I don't want you to talk about anything you're not comfortable with, but can you say a little bit more about that and how that um, shaped who you are and what decisions you made? Well, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, I think I was in, like, fifth grade. You can talk to my, my mom's the one who commented on that, so, I mean, I guess she could talk about it if you if you want to hear more on that. Sure. I'm not quite familiar. <laughs> um, he just basically woke up one day and had like a midlife crisis. It lasted until we got him more challenged, and that was one of the things that Dr. Rick Cartwright said, that he's not being challenged mentally, and so you have to stimulate this child. And he was just depressed and just basically, um, is there a God? What is my purpose? He was completely aware of everything in life. He was afraid. You know, like he was just, most kids just go through life skipping, and that's not what happened with him. All of a sudden, everything was very real to him. And so they said we needed to give him purpose. And and that's one of the big reasons that he went to Harvard, because mm. they stimulated him so much. And how did you, I mean, as a parent, how did you feel at that time? Uh, it was rough. Of course, I'm worried because it seems like that highly intelligent people tend to kill themselves a lot. So I wanted to make sure that I had a happy child. I mean, I want him to be happy. So more more than anything, I mean, what is life without happiness? So we thought we've got to fix this. And that's why we started really reading up on gifted books and talking to people. And like I said, the Duke guy, he, he really, he's a professional and this and he's like, this is what you need to do. Try to find this, and so we started it. And man, it was like a, a switch in him. It really was. It was amazing the difference, and he's been happy ever since. Uh, well, Braxton Morale, good luck to you. Um, I Thank think it's you. been a quite an accomplishment. You have a lot of a lot of years ahead of you uh, to do some good things, and Julie as well. Um, good luck to you as well. It's been. Um, amazing to hear your side of this story as well. So uh, Braxton Morale going to graduate high school and college from Harvard um, in May, and then he wants to go on to law school after that, and his mother, Julie Morale. Thank you so much for joining No Wrong Answers. Thank you. Best wishes. Our podcast today is sponsored by the Kauffman Foundation, learning together with families, educators, entrepreneurs, and innovators to develop quality education that prepares all of Kansas City students for the future of learning and work. Join the conversation by visiting Kauffman.org or on Twitter at KauffmanFDN. It's an old education adage ripped off from Maya Angelou, I think. Students will forget what you said or what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. How students feel 
when they're at school is tied into the often slippery term that's at the heart of a new research study published by the RAND Corporation, and that term is school climate. Specifically, the study asks whether instituting restorative discipline practices can improve perceptions of school climate. More than 20 schools in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, were randomly assigned to implement restorative discipline practices starting in 2013 as part of that district's push to lower suspensions. After two years, those schools' ratings of school climate were compared to other schools in the district that had not implemented restorative discipline. And it was found, indeed, that at the schools that had started doing restorative discipline systematically, that teachers' perceptions of school climate improved and students' suspension rates went down, most dramatically, in fact, for African-American students at those schools. So for my teachers here, this may be an obvious question, but humor me. Why would a school's suspension rate or other types of discipline, behavior management things affect a school's climate? Well, we want schools, not prisons. We've all read about the school-to-prison pipeline, especially for students of color. I mean, if they feel like they're tippy-toeing, you're going to get one of two reactions. You're going to get them to go very inclusive or, excuse me, inside of themselves and not truly embrace who they are, or they're going to rebel and say, forget it and and, and go off and be more... Uh, more problematic because they feel like they don't belong there. So, um, you know, we're not there to police the kids. We're there to to teach the kids. And everybody knows that when you're more comfortable, you're going to be more receptive to whatever you need, right? You you can learn better if you're more comfortable. Why is a discipline management system about comfort or, or discomfort to a kid? If you're an adolescent, right, and you're just, you know, you're shaping who you are, if you feel like you're under constant surveillance all of the time, mm-hmm. I don't know how you become an authentic person, right? How do you, how does your authentic self emerge? Because what emerges is the, is the lowest level of Maslow's. Right. I mean, you're just, like, it's that, right. It's the OB reptile, reptile brain. Yeah. I'm, I'm in fear all the time. Yeah. The reactive, defensive. Right. Well, I just know that my administrative staff, right, at at the place where I work, they say in practice, I I believe, seek first to understand whenever it comes to discipline issues. So I have seen in the years that I have taught a shift, and it hasn't been sudden. It's been gradual, but it has been over a few years of that model, right? In my – from my viewpoint, the discipline problem or the discipline attitude – comes first from the individual teachers' classrooms. Students tell me which classrooms they feel comfortable in and which classrooms they don't feel comfortable mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. And uh, in my, I think in my four years of teaching at my current school, I think I have written up, I think, three students. So it's I, not so much a matter of what your school administration does. It's more like a class-to-class yep. feeling. So even like the climate within different classes can be very different within the same school. Very much so. My school's approach to discipline, I'd, I'd say in, very inconsistent. And and that I guess that trickles down to the classroom, too. There's a lot of implicit bias in education. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't want to talk about it, but, like, I mean, we treat girls different than we treat boys. Mm-hmm. We treat students of color different. We treat athletes different. You know what I mean? Like, it's whatever you assume is the problem, that's the problem. And, and a lot of kids are just being kids. I think, like, t- teachers sometimes we forget, administration forget that, like, you were a kid too. You know, just because those kids are loud doesn't mean they're arguing. They mm-hmm. might just be talking to each other, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. And sometimes healthy discourse or disagreement might be necessary. That might be the culture of what they're used to. They, they might not be physically exchanging or them asking you a question or somewhat challenging you. Isn't that something that they, just, they disrespect you? 
And so the way you respond to that only triggers other kids, you know. So like you mentioned, t- teachers who tend to like discipline more tend to have more problems. Yeah. You know, the kids kids respond to that. Well, here's the devil's advocate view. If you don't have discipline and you don't have order, you have chaos and that okay. can also impact school climate or a classroom climate, right? Like you need you need discipline, you need consequences mm-hmm. in order to maintain a a positive learning environment or climate. Would you agree with that? Yes. Yes. But you need respect. Right. right? Like even prisons, like the best prisons, like you look at the, some of the prison systems in Europe, they still call the people by their names instead of numbers. It's about like treating the person like a human being and letting them feel like they're respected. And I think that that's when you have teachers who are the most effective where, not not to say that my way is the best, but the teachers I've seen that are the most successful is that when a kid is is going out of line, they have a conversation to the yep. kid about it and say, you know what, you've you've disrespected the environment. What's on your mind? What's mm-hmm. the issue? Mm-hmm. Not get out. Right. They open up the line of communication, and, and some of them are creative in the ways that they're mm-hmm. dealing with the problem and, and not sending the student away. Right. Yeah. And we, just a couple of weeks ago, I mean, the, in the last episode before the new year, we talked about some of these themes and topics because we were talking about the fact that the uh, U.S. Department of Education under Betsy DeVos was set to, at that time, and now has gone ahead and announced that they're going to roll back some Obama-era guidelines that pertain to um, suspension rates and discipline practices that, I, I guess, more broadly you could define as a little bit less punitive, more restorative. The Obama administration had encouraged schools to look more closely at that and implement those things. Trump administration is is stepping back from that. Luann, you mentioned a shift at your own school. Is this part of a broader social shift and debate around, I guess, not only not, not only just school discipline, but just how we deal with conflict in general? Oh, absolutely. I believe so. Yes. And I could not second what Paul had said earlier enough about, because I thought about this a lot. I was thinking like, there's just, you know, as a teacher, you're only in control. I mean, your locus is like your room pretty much because that's where you are all day long. And you, you're not where the students are because the students travel that whole building and they have six other teachers that they see all day. So my my perception of like what school climate is, is not going to match what it really is because I can't mm-hmm. get around to the whole school. Mm-hmm. But I know because I'm in control of what happens in my classroom that I can create the climate that I want um, and model it, right? What I want to see have. So I can have a, a perception. And if we want all teachers to be able to to do that, but we all know that there are some teachers that have better control, can deal with their students better than than other teachers. There, you, you really have like two different approaches to teaching. You have the teacher who says, "I'm here to teach the content, and anything that gets in the way of that is is out." And then you have the teacher who's like, "I'm here to teach the kid first. And I think that we as educators, we're seeing throughout the the, the country this idea that you have to teach the whole kid. And if the the kid doesn't feel comfortable, the kid doesn't feel respected or whatever, the content's not going to stick. It really won't matter how much they do they retain anyway. Like I can't even remember most of my teachers' names from back (laughs) when I was in school. But the teachers I do remember, it's not about the content we learn. It's about the relationships and the environment. And we're seeing with the mental health struggles, we're seeing with these things that kids have real struggles when they feel police, when they feel like they're walking on eggshells. Plus society's making them feel closed in. They have a uh, fear of missing out, FOMO, you know, all of these mm-hmm. things that are, we didn't have when, even when I was in high school, when we, when, when we kind of look away from that and then we 
you know, police them too, it, it just makes for a, a lot more climatic situation. Uh, part of school climate is simply just about how you as teachers and your students feel at school, what type of place you think it is. Does, does school need to be a happy place in order for it to be successful? Is happy the right word to describe a school climate? Man, I thought about this a lot, you know, coming, preparing for this. And I was thinking how, you know, when we're raising them up from being kids, you know, and, and the end of it is going to be that they're going to be these productive citizens in society, there has to be that balance because I do think that schools should be, I mean, we, we talk about them being safe places all the time, and that's really hard in this, you know, in the in our gun culture, you know, age. But it's important that we try to make them be a little bit happy so that kids can kind of learn in ways that are going to carry them forward because really the world of work is going to be harsh enough. No one's going to care if you have a cough. No one's going to really care. You know, they, they still need the spreadsheet done. The widget still needs to get made, right? The productivity is going to be the bottom line. And if we really make that be the basis of what school is about, then I, I don't really think we're doing our kids a, a service. I think they really have to grow into that. It's all about how we view happiness. You know, of course, the content is what it is. But I, I think about, like, my daughter, when I asked her how school was every day, she says it was fun. I look about what, at what age do, do we and shift? And your daughter is four. Ha- four. Okay. Yeah. yeah. At what age do we shift out of that? Because I can kind of clearly remember when, like, I used to love going to school, you know? Like, and it wasn't about the class like I mean yeah the classroom itself like eh but it was like the hallways and my friends and like the I felt the community aspect and I don't know if that's because we as a society have less of a community feel like I remember growing up and having like a school ice cream social and like the community around the school rallied around it and you felt like I'm a part of this and as we've gotten more focused on testing and things like that, and maybe as you get older, it becomes more, like, serious. But even if you look at the work environment, some work environments are starting to realize when my employees are somewhat happy, they work better. You know, I visited Tom's Shoes in L.A. one time, and I got to be with them for three days. And they had a slide in their office. They allowed the, the workers to dress how they wanted. You know what I mean? Little things just to bring in some happiness. If you wanted to bring your dog in, sure. You know, like... And they're a very productive company. And I think that we're realizing, like, hey, happiness matters. And we kind of make it cheesy when we're like, oh, you got to be happy all the time. Like, no, there's got to be some rigor and stress. But at the same time, like, a kid should feel good walking down the hallway. He should feel like he's safe. He should feel like there's people who care about him, whether it be the teacher or his peers. Well, maybe we're talking about self-efficacy. I mean, maybe it's that. Say more. What do you mean? Well, if I feel good... I can handle stress mm-hmm. and I can handle parameters and, you know, challenge. Yeah, I can. Right. But if I if I just if I if I hate my home or if I if I feel fear walking down the hall or whatever, and I don't feel like I'm capable and can handle some things or feel stupid because I'm in the smart class with everybody else and I'm not them, then that really does affect the way that that I'm going to handle yeah. that situation. But if I generally like myself and I feel like I can handle things, then. I can handle things that... I mean, the original focus of this conversation was this the, the RAND Corporation study about restorative practices and how that had apparently approved, improved perceptions, at least, of school climate at some schools in Pittsburgh. But I think maybe the point I get from this conversation is uh, doing a, a, a programmatic change like that or, or doing something... There's no silver bullet. I mean, like, you, you might institute restorative practices, but there are a lot of other different factors that affect school climate. Yeah, I mean, think about the kid. I think about the kids who I know who've been suspended or who've gotten in trouble they start to really not like themselves. 
They don't know how to vocalize that, but they don't like themselves and they don't like anybody else and they don't want people to see that they feel weak about themselves. So then they act out to -hmm. try to get some kind of attention, whether it's positive or negative, and they don't understand why they're doing it, right? But the kid who's fighting is looking for something, you know? And so when you let a kid know, hey, you made a mistake, but it's not the end of the line, bro. Like, it's not not over, man. We're going to help you out. What is it that's bothering you? You start to see them walk a little different. And we, and not to take the whole conversation, but I think about a kid I just had a situation with. This kid, for three years I've had him in different classes. He's almost failed every single class. And he, he is not on track to graduate. Luckily, our school, ha- our district has a program where they can go to an alternative school and get like restorative credits and things like that. When, when I brought him in the the office with the counselor and the social worker, and we broke this down to him, his face started glowing because he just thought that it was over. And so he just stopped trying. And so when we said, you know what, you've, you've messed up, but it's not over. It's, you, can, you can get it together. And you know what, you can graduate on time too. He woke up, you know, and the last week of school, he's ready. And I've already got an email from him saying, I cannot wait to go on my tour. And it's, it, what was the change, you think? What was the change inside That he him? knows that he has a chance. He thought that he had written himself off, that he had messed up so bad his freshman year that he wasn't going to graduate on time. So then what's the point? Uh, well, we'll end the conversation there. It's a new year, a new semester, always a time of optimism in the classroom. You've been refreshed. You're ready to get back to work, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and you have likely made some resolutions to yourself as a teacher. Um, here's former teacher turned comedian and social media personality Eddie B on his teacher New Year's resolutions for 2019. I'm trying to be a little bit more honest this year. They still don't know who put it in the copy machine for taking that to my grade. More differentiation this year. A whole lot more rigor. I guess I'll try to follow a few more rules except for that restroom thing. Whenever I feel like it, I'm going to go pee this year, I'm not even going to have nobody watching my class. I'm going to the Okay, well, on a, <laughs> um, yes. on a more serious note, I, I, I as a, when I was a teacher, I always went into the holiday break after the end of the first semester, both with a sense of accomplishment, you know, just you just got done with this semester, put it in the books, but also with a whole lot of anxiety and impatience for the next semester to get started because there's a lot of big things that happen in the second semester, especially in high school. So I wonder for you, um, have you made resolutions to yourselves in your classrooms for this coming semester? Or if resolution is too formal of a term, are, are there things that... Um, maybe you learned last semester that you're trying to do new or differently this semester. So we'll go with each one of you in turn. I don't make resolutions. I'm one of those non-resolution people. If I think I need to make a change, I will just change it then instead of waiting for uh, an official thing. To me, the the holiday break is just a two-week break. Things don't really start over in my head. We just continue on. And so if I need to make changes, I'll just make them whenever I think it's warranted. So what are these changes that you think are that you're just making right now that you think are warranted? What are you looking well, at for this semester coming up? A lot of this is is environment. I try to decorate my uh classroom a lot with different lighted trees and and uh various decorations according to seasons and um and whatever just to kind of keep the uh environment changing a little bit. So I had uh I had a, an upside-down Christmas tree in my classroom <laughs> um, of you would. for December, um, and now I've changed that. Over break, I had to go take that all down, and I put up more of just a winter snow scene just to kind of keep the environment not just blank white walls and and, and a whiteboard. Um, so I, over break, I changed all that around. Yeah. yeah. Luann. 
Um, resolutions or not? Well, not yeah. Well, resolutions kind of like a s- strong word, but I but <laughs> I I do know I teach um, I teach AP, and at the end of my course, there's going to be an AP test, and also teaching juniors, ACT and PSAT kind of rule the year and that kind of thing. So it's big testing for the for the juniors. So what I always talk to my students about, and apparently they need to really hear it, like towards the end of the year, is that. The first semester kind of work, the way that we do that work will shift because in the second semester, I definitely need to work with more demand kinds of tasks. We need to shift to like test modes and I need to put more test kinds of conditions around them when it comes to timing. So and it's going to become more challenging. Absolutely. Right. But doable because like say the homework aspect or the writing with untimed elements sort of shifts so that they have to think more on their feet just because that's the demand that the tests sort of require. And it's, it's a writing uh, test as well, right? The AP test is, you know, two hours of writing three essays, basically, and, and doing that in a competent way. So to have my students write and be f- familiar with how to write with stamina and for me to write with them. So to promote more, like, workshop atmosphere, do more write-to-learn kinds of activities. You're writing Share with more them? writing. Absolutely. I think a good teacher does that. A good practitioner would, like, write with So every students. new class, you're, you're writing, you're like, if you, like, if they're doing a timed writing class or they're doing an assignment in class, you're writing... Oh, I have done that before, yeah. but I mean, like, I can't, like, I mean, I'm, you know, I can't keep it up fresh all the time, but I will share writing that I've no. done. Um, if I want them to write and write authentically, I mean, you know, I, I am a writer myself, so I'm going to share some of my writing with them. I just try to immerse them in writing, discussing writing, discussing, you know, all the things that deal yeah. with writing, because that's really driven by what I'm doing in, in my classroom. They're not getting that in the six other classes. All right. Well, my resolution is to be more like Luann for the new uh, year. <laughs> David, resolution or yeah, no? Yeah, I do make resolutions. You do make resolutions. Dang it. <laughs> Dang it. Yeah, and I'm a little fluffier. No, I, I've been doing a lot of thinking about, like, um, like, kind of restorative justice within my classroom. Like, those kids who got in D's and F's last semester, I've been kind of really contemplating, like, pulling them aside and having a conversation. Like, what, what, what do you feel like you need? to make you be more successful. And that's something I haven't really done because I've always felt like since I've tried so hard to create a positive climate that I felt disrespected by kids who didn't at least try. And maybe that just means that I need to switch some things up, you know, if I'm not reaching those kids that um, haven't been working because I had a few more Ds and Fs than usual. Um, Last semester. Yes, yeah, so I can't just blame society anymore. I gotta. <laughs> as long as I'm gonna do this job for another year or so or whatever, job become a famous rapper. I'm gonna. I'm gonna it's always out, out there. It's there. It's dangling. Well, explain that. Explain that feeling a little bit more. You mean uh, you put so much effort into trying to mindfully create a positive environment that you feel yeah. that you feel the the sting, especially when a kid doesn't buy into that. What do you mean? By yeah, that? I mean, I'm being honest. When I first started teaching at 23, I was like, I'm going to be that cool teacher that like kids, when they get to my classroom, they're going to like, man, I can't wait to go to Ms. Thomas class. And so I felt like that should turn into them trying for me. Like they should try to do my content because I've tried to make them feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. It's bigger than that as I've gone, you know, gotten older and matured, you know, so... I've got to figure out what it is that's going to reach them beyond just being that teacher that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. But you're still cool f- for us, at least. Most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, before we get to kids these days, let's tell you about some other education stories that caught our eye recently. It's time for the headlines.
A state commission formed after last year's mass shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, has released its final report, and it has some scathing conclusions. Among other concerns, the commission says that there is still a lack of urgency in Broward County public schools and within local law enforcement in South Florida in trying to reform school safety policies. The commission also says poor security plans and fumbled or ignored tips contributed to the shooting, which left 17 people dead. The commission, which included the father of a slain student, recommends arming teachers if they pass through a stringent screening process. Still, Luann, still opposed to that. No, right. The Los Angeles Unified School District, one of the nation's largest, is reportedly hiring hundreds of non-union teachers as potential substitutes in anticipation of a teacher strike that is set to begin January 10th. That's a few days after this is being taped. The biggest teachers union in L.A. called the hiring of substitutes, quote, outrageously irresponsible and potentially illegal. Mm -hmm. The district and union have been negotiating over a new contract for more than a year. Teachers are demanding a 6.5% pay raise and a boost in the number of counselors and social workers in L.A. schools. Mm -hmm. A federal judge in Arkansas has ruled that the Conway Public School District does not have to allow a high school senior to bring her service dog to school. The student and her mother had argued that under the federal Americans with Disabilities Act, she should be allowed to bring Dobby, her miniature Australian shepherd, to school as a way to help ease her panic attacks. The judge, however, ruled the law does not require the district to provide for that particular accommodation. So... Find another way. Those are some of the headlines that we noticed this week in education news. Coming up, kids these days, but first, this episode of No Wrong Answers is sponsored by the Kauffman Foundation. No Wrong Answers retains total editorial control in what our teachers say are their personal opinions, which may not reflect the official policies of the schools and districts they work for. Like us at Facebook, follow us on Twitter, just search for the No Wrong Answers podcast by Fountain City Frequency. Find us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And once you do, subscribe and leave us a review. It helps. There are no other podcasts like ours giving you a teacherly take on the world. If you've enjoyed the conversation you've heard today, subscribe, leave us a review, and keep that conversation going. Now, kids these days, it might be kind of difficult because none of our teachers have seen kids, at least their students, (laughs) for about two weeks or more. So they might have to reach back to last year, 2018. But... We'll see. They might have something up their sleeve. Kids these days. Luann, what are your kids into for the beginning of 2019? Well, I haven't seen them, as you have (laughs) said. But this thing with Bird Box, right? That was like, (laughs) that was just happening. The Netflix movie. The Netflix movie. Right. That was just happening right as we were leaving. uh, You can't look at things or you, yeah. Right. So we were like leaving. I watched it over. So we're leaving and kids are talking about that. And now that the Bird Box challenge is like a thing and then it's memed out and everything, uh, my prediction is that that will be the thing that they'll be talking about and, like, that they did the challenge or they're going to do the challenge. Or All right. Now, I've seen this on Twitter, but what is the hashtag Bird Box challenge? It's, because I I haven't seen it myself, the Bird Box movie, but mm-hmm. I kind of know a little bit. But it's going to be about blindfolding yourself and then how oh. well you can do things, like, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, how you well you can do tasks and whatever. Yeah, can you walk around your house? Can you yeah. drive well, around the block? Well blindfolded. Right. And drive around the block. People are hurting themselves by doing that. And so Netflix actually made a statement saying, please don't do the yeah, Bird Box I need, Challenge. Yeah, so, <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. And then 
Just, in, just. In that's a, a good guess. So I think that probably will be. That's kind of my guess for that. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, Paul, uh, also, you've not seen kids, and none of you, I, I think, have seen kids. But what? Well, what do you think they're going to be into? Or what were they into last, late last year? I, I remember the biggest thing I remember was right before school got out, students were discussing the chances that on the first day back there would be a snow day. Uh, there was they were hoping that they could get an extension. Hope for springs some snow eternal. Days. And I don't think they're going to get their snow day tomorrow, so they might be grumpy. But no, looking at the uh, weather in Kansas <laughs> City, uh, the day after we take this. Uh, Probably zero percent chance right. of there being a snow day. But I, I love how they're going on a break, and they're already talking about like maybe we'll get a longer break yep. because we snow. I remember those days when I was in high school. We asked, David, what are your kids into? Well, I mean, I see them on social media, and our, a lot of our kids are into getting back from Europe. They, uh, the band, went to a, a trip in I think Italy. Dang, uh, yeah, dang. pretty sweet, huh? And so they your went to- your school's band went to Italy for. Yeah, they do it every year, every oh. every other year or something like wow. that. Wow! And so does our choir. Eh. Yes. <laughs> what, did, what did you see on so? What were they doing? Uh, taking pictures in front of like coliseum-looking things and you know trendy uh, posts and such. Yeah, whatever. Well, we can't all have exciting holiday Eating breaks. Eating real pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, thanks to our teachers this week, Luann Fox, Paul Donovan, and David Muhammad. Thanks, as always, to Matt Hodap, who produces the podcast. Thank you to KCUR 89.3, Kansas City Public Radio, where we tape. Remember, go to our website, nowronganswerspodcast.com. Sign up for our Friday Cheat Sheet newsletter. Happy 2019, and, and until next time, remember, kids, be nice to your teachers. Be nice to your teachers.